Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Wasn't that special? You know, my mom and I used to pick at each other a lot when, we, when I was coming up, and um, I would, uh, we'd play practical jokes on one another, and it was awesome. I thought that had, had died as we got older and matured, and this morning she swung by my house and, and put uh, Vaseline under my door handle. So I went, I was checking my, our chickens in the yard and I went to look at them. And about the time I looked at them, I reached in and, eh, you know, it's just a, so anyway, my mom is great, but you know, it's on, just saying it's on a couple of things we learned, a couple of truths we learned about our, uh, from our moms, no matter how hard you try, you can't baptize a cat. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't ever let her brush your hair. Anybody ever been there? If your sister hits you and I can get this one. If your sister hits you, don't hit her back because mom always catches the second person. Never ask your three-year-old sibling to hold, your, uh, hold a tomato. These are just things I saw on Facebook. You can't trust your dogs to watch your food. Puppies still have bad breath even after eating a Tic Tac. You can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. Uh, and then the last one, I love this one. The best place to be when you're sad and hurting is on mama's lap. And all of God's people said, amen. Yeah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me real quickly. We're not going to be long this morning to turn to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> Story of uh, Moses. Moses' mother in particular. Moses, of course, was to be the deliverer of the children of Israel out of bondage because the Bible says in Exodus coming out of the story that we talked about several weeks ago against all odds with the story of Joseph who literally had been the the one who brought us into possession and the one who was promised Yahweh saves Yahweh is salvation and and Joseph was the one who brought salvation to the children of Israel. And in Genesis 15, verse 20, towards the end of the book of Genesis, the Bible said, what you meant for evil, God turned for good. And then we get into Exodus chapter 1, and the Bible says that there rose up a, a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph. Now, the interesting thing here for us to understand, whether we're a mom today or whether we're just going through life and trying to understand how to be a little better each day and to walk in the perfect will of God for our life, is that we never need to forget where we came from. How many of you believe that this morning? That there rose up, watch this, a Pharaoh who didn't remember what Joseph had done. And in that, he began to have some animus towards the children of Israel. They were, they were procreating quickly. There was a number of them that was rising up and, and so so you see now that there was a decree that went out by the Pharaoh to begin to limit the number of children that were born to the Jewish people. And in that edict, in that decree, he said, we're going to let the girls live, but I want you to kill the boys during this period of time. So Moses is being born into a woman named Jochbed. And she, he was born into her during one of the most perilous times of Jewish culture. Now we realize that the enemy has always, always been out to seek and destroy that way of life of the Jewish people. Why? Because we realize that it was prophesied, and the enemy knew this, and he knows it today, that Jesus would come out of the root of David. He would come out of that promise that was made to Abraham of land, seed, and blessing. And he knew that he would come out of that, so he had to always try to derail the plan of God. But I want you to know today that no matter what the enemy tries to do, he is a defeated foe. He knows his days are numbered. He knows that he's going to be tossed in the lake of fire. He's the first one uh, of the dead that he will be 
cast in the lake of fire. And all of those who have followed him, the demonic forces of this earth, are going to follow him right into the pits of hell. There is instruction in Scripture that when we see the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the great dragon, that we would look at him and say, is that really the one who tormented us all of these years? The reality is, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you, which is the Holy Spirit, than he that is in this world, which is the enemy. I want you to know today that if God's got a plan for your life, and he does, that it's a perfect plan. It can't be derailed by the forces of of the evil one. But you and I have to walk what? In the promises of God that he says are yes and amen in him. What does that mean? That means that God has a plan. God has a promise. But you and I, I don't care your age. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how long you've been saved. There's a plan for mine and your life to walk in the perfect will of God. But we have to do so by turning a deaf ear over to the enemy. The Bible says in James 4, 7, if you resist the devil, he'll what? He'll flee from you. And the reality today is that's exactly what Jochbed had to do because all of the odds were stacked against her and her son. Now keep in mind, she'd already had, already had one daughter, Miriam, and she'd already had one son, Aaron, of whom the priesthood would come out of, the Levite priesthood. But something profound was about to take place. I want you to look with me, if you will, into Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 2. It says, then Pharaoh gave his order to all the people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. In chapter 2 and verse 1, and about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. That was Amron and Jochbed. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw, watch this now, she saw that he was a special baby. There was a favor upon his life, and she kept him hidden for three months. Three is always a number for Trinity. It's a number for uh, showing that God's hand is in it. It's a number for resurrection. And it says he hid her for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and, and some scriptures say, some translations say within and without. Then she put the baby in a basket, laid it among the reeds of the bank of the Nile. River. Now, if you study scripture and you study history, you realize then that the Nile River was infested with crocodiles. That was part of the edict. He knew that as the babies were thrown into the Nile River, that they weren't just going to swim around, that it would be the end of them, that there was no hope by being thrown into the Nile River. I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that in a moment. The Bible says in verse 4, the baby's sister then stood at a distance, speaking of Miriam, watching to see what would happen. And Pharaoh's daughter, in verse 5, came down to wash herself at the river. Her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark, or the, the boat that she had made for him, among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him. This is Pharaoh's daughter. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said the sister of Pharaoh's daughter, which is Miriam, shall I go unto thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And in verse 9, and I'll finish in 10. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me. Watch this. And I will give you wages. And the woman, speaking of Moses' mother, Jochbed, took the child and nursed him. She nursed her own son. And the child grew and she brought him to the Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she called his name Moses because she says, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you would help us to rightly divide it, that today we can be overcomers through your perfect will and through your plans for our life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. 
I want you today to understand, we're talking to moms and we're also talking to dads, we're talking to young people today. The beauty of God's word is that it is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both going in and going out. It speaks to the speaker, it speaks to the hearer, it speaks to the moms today. This is an application message to moms, but it's an application for every listener today, whether in this room or by way of podcast as you'll listen later. That there is a point in our time where we need to never, ever, ever underestimate God's plan for our life. That we need to never underestimate the perfect will of God as we, as we traverse through this life despite all of its chaotic uh, obstacles that the enemy would place in front of us. We need to realize a couple of things. One, James says that we are sometimes tried because there's a test that we're going through. How many of you know sometimes everything that happens in your life is not the enemy's fault? As a matter of fact, he may have nothing to do with it. Sometimes God is allowing you to go through a trial in your life because it's testing your faith. You never get a promotion at work until you go through through some type of test. You can't get a driver's <clears throat> driver's license until you take a test. You can't get all of these things until you take a test, get a promotion. Sometimes the difficulty in our life is just helping us realize that we need to take the instruction and we need to apply it and we need to take a test. There's also another side of the coin where the enemy's going to tempt and he's going to bring evil and he's going to bring division. But I want you to know today that we never are to underestimate the power of God in our life, that there's a plan and that plan is perfect and we got to seek God's heart, pursue his heart to find out what it is God wants us to do in this life. I want to give you four ways, if I can, four little things that we learn from Jotbed as it can apply to our life that she saw in the life of Moses. Keep in mind, the decree had gone out, you got to kill this son, and then what does she do? If she disobeys, she's going to be killed, her other children will be killed, her daughter will be killed, the husband, everything. But mamas who stand up and say this, hey, number one, I see the, the potential in my child. Jotbed saw the potential in Moses. I'm thankful today that there are mothers everywhere that are seeing the favor of God on their children's life, the potential. Not who they are today, but who they're going to be one day. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who can take something that's just a mess and make a message out of it? That he can go through a test and give you a testimony. That he can do something great with little of nothing. How many of you know that to be true today? That God can take a complete, catastrophic, destructive person and can bring them out. Am I talking to anybody in here today? That you can come out of where you were, out of deadness and into life. You can come out of hopelessness and into hope. That you can come out of of no point to come into a, a point of reference where God is using you for the glory of his message and the hope found in Jesus Christ. That Moses' mother saw the great potential in him. About 200 years ago, in the 1800s, there's a story of a man who passed a man on the streets. And the man was hungry and he said, what can I do for you today? He owned a little small music shop and the man had kind of put himself outside the music shop and he said, I just want some food. And the man said, well, you know, what do you have laying there beside you? I'll give you some money, but I want to, he didn't want to give him a handout. He wanted to help him. The man said, all I got is this old violin. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you five bucks for it and go get something to eat. And he gave him the money and the man went about his way, homeless man, and he went and he got some money. As the man began to look over this ordinary piece of junk violin he looked on the inside of it and he saw the inscription date 1704 Antonio Stradivari Antonio Stradivari was known and is known today to creating the most world-renowned violins and any percussion, any type of violin or cello, any type of instrument. And, and that man took that and he realized who it was because he was a music store owner and he went to find the man and he couldn't find him. 
Several years went by, and he realized how valuable it was. He sold that violin for $5,000 a few years later. And when he, when he sold it, he said, I wish that man knew what he had. The man that bought it several years went by, and he, of course, knew what he had. And he went into an auction house, and he sold that same violin for $100,000. And when he sold it, he walked away counting his money, and he said, I wish that the guy who sold me this really knew what he had. Just a few years ago, after the J- Japanese earthquakes, some of those same violins autographed by Stradivari sold the, the most expensive one, sold for $3.6 million. And the guy who sold it gave all of the money to, to the recovery of the Japanese earthquakes. And he said this, and I quoted the Christie's auction house, I wonder if the person who first sold it really knew what they had. You see, I wonder when we look at our children do we realize that there's an autograph of Almighty God on their life? That there is a spiritual DNA on each of our children. Now, I really wonder today if we really know what we have in them. I wonder, do we really see the great potential? Thank God for the mothers. Thank God for the dads. Thank God for the teachers. Thank God for the investors in our life who've stepped in and saw not what we were, but what we could be. Because we have the stamp and the autograph of God on our life. That Watch this. I love to look into a baby's eyes and just see the innocence and the excitement of, of absolutely nothing. Just life. I'd like to think that that's the way God really wired us to be. But don't you know that we get so off the beaten path, forgetting our great potential in Christ. The Bible says that we're more than overcomers through Jesus Christ. That we, Listen, we're not just victors. We're better than that. That God wants to live an abundant life through you. The Bible says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But he said, but I come that you may have what? Life, and you may have it. Say it with me. More abundantly. Aren't you glad for the ones who see the potential in our life? Secondly, and I love this, Jockbed rejected the cultural standard of the day. The world does not dictate how we live. The Bible should dictate how the world says we should live. We have gotten so far off of a biblical mandate that we're more concerned, and I just want to say this out loud, we're more concerned about what the culture says we can do, about being politically correct, when in fact we need to be striving, fighting, we need to be speaking, we need to be voting towards a place of what? Biblical correctness. Guys, let me tell you something. When one worm, woman, worm, Madeline O'Hare, can go into the Supreme Court and say she, it offends her when we pray out loud in a public forum and remove prayer, we have lost our strength, we've lost our voice, and we've lost the favor of God. I think it's time that we step up and realize that the culture doesn't determine who we are. The Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ in us determines who we are. Jockbed saw what the requirement was, and by death, watch this, would you go to church today if it was illegal for you to go? Would you carry the word of God in your hand in a public view today if you knew that you could be punished by death? Would you allow, church, would you allow the cultural mandate to determine your walk with a holy God? Jockbed didn't do that. You see, Jockbed bore Moses knowing that he was being born into the most hostile of all environments. That the greatest, strongest man in the fleshly realm, Pharaoh, had sent forth an edict and said, this is what you will do. Some of you saw a few weeks ago or last week, whenever it was, saw the movie God's Not Dead 2. 
Guys, I want to say something to you, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. I don't think we're far away from a point in time where the governments will try to determine what we do in here. I don't think we're far away from a point in time where, I mean, let's look at it right now. We're the punchline of every joke. Not, not Islam, not Hinduism, not the Jehovah's Witnesses, not the Mormon church, but the Christian church. The one who has it all. The one who serves the living God. We're the ones under attack. We're the ones being pushed aside. We're the ones being suppressed and our mouths closed. Can I tell you something? I want you to know today that no matter what the enemy sends to derail a holy God's power, that it is an infinite power. The Bible says in Acts 1 and verse 8 that there will become power become upon you, that you shall be my witnesses. God has called you through the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for a holy God. And I'm going to tell you something. Just like Jobbed did, we got to realize that there's a principle here that we need to learn from. The devil will always, always, always try to, to manipulate cultural standards in hopes of derailing God's plans. But I want you to know today that there's a greater standard, and that's the standard of the Word of God. It's living. It doesn't change. Aren't you glad that God's not changing? I don't want to have to keep up with a changing God. I want a God that's settled, and he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he meant back then is what he means today. The way he looks at marriage is the way he looks at marriage today. The way he views children is the way he views them today. The way he views church is the way he views it today. He's not changed his mind. God's never in a point where he's going to say, uh-oh, I'm sorry, I messed up. I didn't realize times were changing. God's not a changing God. It's impossible for God to change. If you study any of the other world religions, and I've done it, the Bibles that they wrote and the premise upon which they wrote them said that the Bible that we hold today is from translation to translation to translation and therefore has become erroneous and no more power and no more fullness of God's plan in our life. So there's a new Bible. There's a new way. The first instance you hear anything about a new revelation as it pertains to the inspired word of God, run and run fast because it is the first premise for a cult. The second is they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That he truly is God. That he truly came to the earth. That he physically lived. He physically preached. He physically died. And he physically got up. And if we don't understand that, we, listen, guys, I I was passing through town the other day. And I saw some guys walking down the street. Had a little white shirt, saw a little black tag on their shirt. Black pants. Good looking young men. And they're walking down the street and it's like 730. And they're walking down South Green Street. Matter of fact, I passed him the first time right there up on the square around First Baptist. And it occurred to me, Steve, that these guys are out propagating a lie. But they believe in it so much that they're willing to take time to do it. And yet we serve a living God. The Redeemer of the world. And we don't have time to walk the same streets that they do preaching a lie. You see... The standards of the world, the standards of our culture has said, we don't have time. We got to do this. We got to do that. Let me just interject. If the goal of your life, mamas and daddies, is to make your child popular, you may very well succeed in that. But oftentimes, popularity is something that takes first place to a divine favor. Because I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says for me to be friends with man on this earth, and to keep this in perspective, let me qualify it. To be a friend with man, for man to be pleased with me, is to be in enmity with a holy God. 
What does that mean? That our goal, it doesn't mean we won't have friends. It don't mean people won't be pleased with you. It just means that from a cultural standard, much like Jockbed, our first and foremost plan in this life is not to please man, but to please God. So not only did she see the favor and the potential, but she also swayed away from the cultural relevance. And third, Jockbed, I love this, she recognized her own limits. The Bible says when she could hide him no more, she created a reed and put him in the lake, in the river. When she could hide him no more. What must that have really felt like? Not just to read this in some cavalier, cavalier perspective that this mother put this child in a crocodile-infested waters. That she put him in there. How must that have truly felt as she stood and, and, and spread the reeds back and put that little three-month-old baby and pushed him aside and said, God, I trust you. How must that have really felt to a mom? To know that that was greater, that there was a greater hope in doing that than there was, watch this, and keeping him and protecting him. Why? Because she knew he would surely die. I want you to know something. Sometimes we need to get to the end of ourselves to realize that that's when and only when God picks up the pieces. Here's what I mean by that. If we think we've got life by the throat and we can do this and we don't need God, moms and dads, and we don't need God, teachers, and we don't need God, attorneys and doctors and lawyers, let's, guess what? God will let you do it on your own until you run dead into a wall or fall flat of your face when the only thing you can do is look up and say, God, help me. Sometimes we need to recognize our parental limits. Helen Keller said it this way, face your deficiencies and acknowledge them. Never let them master you. She went on to say, the living God not only wants you to use your abilities, but he also wants you to use your inabilities. As an invalid, a woman that couldn't speak, couldn't hear, and couldn't see, somebody saw the potential. Somebody decided not to accept the cultural standard. Somebody went to the point and said, hey, I see the end of her ability. But guess what? That inability is what's going to bring honor to a holy God. And she began to invest in her. As an invalid, she was told by every doctor she came in contact with that you will never, quote, escape the prison of your pain and your weakness. In one of her memoirs, she went on to say, oh, well, There's a lot of living to be found within our limitations if you don't wear yourself out trying to find them. If you look at that river today and you place whatever you want to in front of that and just realize that that river, that that mother took that little papyrus coated tar basket into a boat, an ark, the Bible calls it, into that river. Watch this. The same river that meant to kill him became his salvation to get him down the river so that Pharaoh's daughter could see him. You see, the Bible says what you meant for evil, Satan, God turned for good. See, it's funny that that sometimes when we look at our limitations, we see them as weaknesses, and though we should, we need to realize what Paul was told when he prayed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through following, when the Bible says he prayed three times for God to deliver him from this thorn in his flesh. And the Bible says that Jesus said no. The answer was no. It wasn't yes, it wasn't maybe, it wasn't later. It was no. I'm not going to deliver you from that because watch this. It's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. The word doesn't mean that he's more perfect. 
It means that it becomes manifest. That others finally begin to see the fact that God is a perfect God, a holy God, a God of strength. Why? Because the greatest testimony of the Apostle Paul, writer of nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, wasn't that God just healed him from this ailment, that God used him in his ailment, that he uses him in his weakness. Because he went on to say, he said, it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. When you are weak, Paul, and may I say this to you today, when you are weak, God's strength is coming out of you then. How many times do we depend on our own life and our own strength to do things? We were talking several weeks ago in the office, and I've shared this to people as many times as I can, that when they're listening, every single time I get up here, Every single time I preach a funeral, every single time I preach a wedding, every single time I speak to a, a little small group of I don't like speaking to little children, by the way. I tried that not too long ago. It is really hard. They are way too smart. Have you ever seen the kids, kids say the darndest things? You ever seen that? You ever seen who, who used to do that? I know Bill Cosby did it for one time. There was another time. Yeah, him. Um, when you're speaking to little children, they ask the questions you guys want to ask. But don't. I was preaching one time. I think it was Jeremiah 33.3. Is that the one where um, call on me and I'll answer you? Is that right? Call. uh, There's my theologian there. Thanks, Dave. Call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. I was preaching that to a group of kids one day. And I took out my cell phone. I was going to try to use the illustration and really dumb it down. And so I took out my cell phone. And I said, you know, the Lord says, if you call me. And and I I just like, yes, Lord, I'm talking to you. And a little kid goes, you know God ain't got no cell phone. Just saying. But you need to know your limitations. I love the fact that the Bible says, band, as you make your way back up, hear me. The Bible says that she prepared this ark. The ark became the way out. The river, which was meant to kill him, became the vehicle for the ark to float on. And the Bible says that she prepared it. She took the, the papers, she took the reeds, she took the materials, and she put them together. Almost kind of reminds me of God taking man upon the dust of the earth, and he formed him. He didn't just say, let there be. He took time to do it. The Bible says we're fearfully, wonderfully made, Psalm 139. He knows everything about us. That that mother, you know that that mother took extra care not only to build that, but watch what she did. The Bible says she pitched it, or she put tar on the inside, and watch this. And on the outside, she waterproofed it. But I'd like to think that there's a little bit more to that story than just tar. That there's some symbolism. There's some strong metaphor. That if we're really honest today, and this is not going to hit some mothers in a sweet spot today, so I'm going to go ahead and warn you. That when you have your child, the reason we dedicated our babies last week It's because they're not yours. They're only on a loan under a stewardship plan for you to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They're not yours. They're not your property. I know you got to pay for them. I know you got to invest in them. But the reality is, is that's why the Bible calls them a reward, a gift of the womb. And the reality is you're merely preparing them to leave home. You're preparing them to go out. And don't you know that you not only, watch this, parent, you not only have to make them look really fancy and really sweet on the outside. Hey, I get it. I want our kids to smell good. I want them to look good. I want all those things to, to, to be the same as you do. But the reality is we got to invest on the inside of their life too. 
We got to pour truth into them. We got to show them, daddies, how to be a man. If they're not your son, you got to show them what kind of man they're going to grow up and choose one day. If you're failing as a father, the Bible says that there will be a visit to their children and their children and their children and their children. If you're not loving the Lord and living by his precepts, daddy, you are causing, you are creating a generational curse for five generations to come. It doesn't just affect them. It's time, daddies, that we step up and realize the rest of that verse says, but those who love the Lord and obey his commandments he will bless them to a thousand generations we've got to pitch it within and without we've got to invest in our children and Jockbed realized her limitations she realized that she was preparing Moses to be something great listen for just a moment just hear my heart you look at your child and you see the potential When no one else sees the potential, you see the potential. I wonder, did Moses' mother, as she held him in her hands, did she look down and say, this is going to be the deliverer of God's chosen people? Or did she just look at it and go, man, he is going to be the most incredible sheep herder He is going to, oh, just a patriarch he will be. Moses is going to be amazing. (laughs) And as Moses came into three-year-old, four-year-old toddler, and he began to stutter, I wondered to that mother look at him and say, man, we missed it. I I really, really thought I saw something in, in him that was great. The book of Acts says that he was no ordinary boy. Who was speaking? The mother. And I wonder, just be real with you. And be real with me. Let's just be honest today. I wonder, did, did she look down as he's running through the house and, and he's stuttering? He can't articulate his words. And maybe he comes from, you know, thinking three or four. And she's thinking, oh, he'll grow out of that. He'll begin to, you know, kind of. And she works with him on his, on his words and stuff. And. He gets to be about 10 or 11 and he's still having problems. And he begins to stammer and stutter. I wonder, does she step back and go, man, I really thought, I really thought he was going to be something special. Push him to the side because guess what? In that culture, that's exactly what they would have done. They do it today in China. Oh, you don't, you don't really want to know what goes on in places like that. When children are born with problems, they see it as a curse from God. They see it as a, as a possession. They see it as a witch. There's all over the world today. But yet, Jotbed saw it as something that God was going to use. It would be great. See, God knew from the moment that he created Moses in his mother's womb, the very second he knew, hear me church, he knew that he would be the deliverer that he would call and send in to take his people out. But maybe the world would look at him and go, So how did it happen? I love this last part. Then I'm done. Chalk bed. Moses' mom realized in three months that she had to give him up. She had to give him up. To save his life, she had to give him up. I'm thankful for mothers who realize their limitations. That today, 
even today. And nobody wants to talk about this, but there are foster parents and there are adoptive parents. And, and you know what? We've not walked one step in their shoes. We don't know what people have gone through to give up those precious babies. But they've given them up so that they can have a better way. She gave him up. She pushed him off down the river and she sat back and watched. But down the way, God had made a provision. And the provision was Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river's edge to bathe. Hey, look, look over there. Run, fetch that object in the water. See, she gave him up, but really in giving him up, she gave him life. And then it gets better. To give him up, to give up our child to a holy God really means we get him back. But we get him back with something special. Why? Because the Bible says that Miriam said, hey, you mean to go fetch one of the Hebrew mothers? You mean to go fetch one uh, that, that can produce milk, that can, can nurse him? Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That was God's idea all along. For her to be faithful would send him out to bring him back in. She got to not only raise her son, but she got paid for raising her son. She got to raise him. She got to rear him. She got to put in him the power of God through raising him as a godly mother, God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, she she got to raise him that way, he went into the palace he was reared under Pharaoh's army he was reared under Pharaoh's table, he was reared under the ways of Pharaoh in the Egyptian way, but there came a day where Moses had been invested into because of his potential that mama saw back on day one Because she didn't hold on and realize that the world would dictate how she would raise her son. And because she came to the end of her abilities and used her inability for God to do something great. And the greatest of all was she gave him over to God. And one day Moses, stammering, stuttering, spoke the words to Pharaoh's court. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a Hebrew going out and he went out God prepared him stuttering and all even to the point when he went up to the mountain and he saw God and he said I want you Moses I want you to go back in I want you to speak to Pharaoh tell him to let my children go tell him to let my people go he said oh oh you got the wrong guy has anybody ever done that before you got the wrong guy I can't even speak. I'm a stutterer. I know that I'll be the laughing stock of all of Egypt. Okay, fine, Moses. I'll play your silly game. Take Aaron, your brother, with you. Let him speak for you. Do you know there's not one record in the entire Word of God where Aaron spoke on behalf of Moses? Because God took Moses' deficiencies, took his weakness to make his strength perfect and manifested to a pagan man in the form of Pharaoh. You know the story. I'd like to say... That that's why we have Jesus today, because God's plan was perfect. That mamas and daddies are recognizing that by giving up our will to a holy God, we're really trusting our children to fulfill God's perfect plan in our life. Daddies, wouldn't it be cool on Mother's Day if daddies stood up and took the torch and said, I accept the charge by God to lead my family. Mothers, wouldn't it be cool today if you just said, you know what, God, I accept 
the challenge. I know that I'm rearing this baby to one day give over to you to send them out into a world, and I want them to go out with strength and power and anointing. I accept the challenge. Wouldn't it be great if young people looked at their moms and dads today and said, I'm going to honor you because through honoring you, the Bible says that there will be prosperity and longer days added to me. Wouldn't it be cool if families today, on Mother's Day 2016, wouldn't it be cool today if families gathered together and prayed and said, okay, God, no longer will we allow the dictates of this world standard to determine how we raise our children, how we live a life, how we take our family to church, how we give of our time, how we serve a holy God. Guys, I believe with all of my heart that our days are numbered, but I believe with all of my heart that we live in the most influential times in all of the world. Two billion people today on planet Earth have never heard the gospel. I think it's time we share it with them through the living of our life, set apart to a holy God. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me all over the room today if you would bow your heads with me how many of you can say without any hesitation that I'm a child of the most high God if I die today I know for sure I'd go to heaven he's my savior he's my lord if you would just lift your hand up say I know that I know that I know not a hope so I'm convinced of it put your hands down for just a moment some hands didn't go up what are you waiting on today today is the day of salvation If you don't know Jesus today as the Lord and Savior of your life, would you pray with me right now from your heart to God? Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to save me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you until the day you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed today and you invited Jesus into your heart to be the Lord of your life, would you right now, without hesitation or personal debate, just lift your hand right now and say, yes, I prayed. I asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. Hold your hand up real quickly. Hold it up. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Just hold it up real quickly. God bless you, sir. I see your hand. God bless you. Here's what we're going to do today. If God has impressed upon you to be a part of Northridge Church, the doors of our church stand open. If God has spoken to you in some kind of way and you just want to come and, and seek prayer, you, daddies, you want to bring your family down and pray, or mamas, you want to bring your children down and you want to pray, whatever the case may be, let's do it today. Let's turn our lives over to God. Let's turn our will over to God. But whatever it is God's called you to do, I want you to know this is your time. This is your moment. As they sing, I want you to please stand to your feet. Everyone in the house standing. What's God called?